Hello, and welcome back to The Arenas, your favorite sports and politics podcast. I am today's host, Aton Winkle, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Ian. What's up? And Truman. Wow. We are also joined today by our first guest on the pod, fellow political junkie and self-proclaimed sports analyst, as well as my good friend, Ben Wertheim. It's an honor and a privilege. So how's everybody doing on this fine weekend? Pretty good, pretty good, you know, got... uh, some tanning hours in i guess wonderful ben how are you doing today i'm definitely doing better than trump's border wall which is blowing down as we speak due to hurricanes in the southeast region of texas <laughs> that that's very good to hear truman how about you uh i'm doing pretty good um and i just uh think that I have a moment of silence for the border wall guys you can just so sad no <laughs> all right terrible I disagree. Does not, des- not, does not deserve our attention. All right, so let's jump right in. So on today's pod, we will be discussing the incident involving representatives Ted Yoho and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, sharing our takes on the modern progressive movement, ringing in a new season of sports, and breaking down the blockbuster Jamal Adams trade. All right, let's jump right in. So this past Monday, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York was accosted on the steps of our nation's capital by Representative Ted Yoho of Florida. Yoho initially approached her in relation to her stance that crime is caused by poverty. What a concept. He went off on AOC, calling her disgusting and, I quote, I'm allowed to say this because she said it on on the House floor, a fucking bitch. Yoho then went on to provide a non-apology on the House floor, leading AOC to promptly put him in his place. Obviously, this was way out of line, so let's hear your thoughts on this. Ben, what do you think? Look, so whether you disagree or agree with AOC's politics politics to any extent, there's a culture in Washington. And when AOC, in her speech, she talks about a boys club, this kind of reinforces that in a way. And look, Yoho is despicable, but the left and right both have a lot of work to do. If you think about Al Franken, that was not that long ago. Um, Both sides have a lot to work on, but also the culture is cultivated from the right and truly perpetuated by Trump. So his seven trillion press secretary, for example, she called AOC's comments preposterous. So they don't even care what the left have to say. There's a certain rhetoric, um, but obviously this is a problem in the bubble we call Washington. Absolutely. Ian, how about you? Yeah, I think Ben definitely hit it uh, on the head, but I think it also goes back to this civility discussion uh, that we've been having, uh, you know, the last however long Trump's been in the Oval Office, seems like forever now, where, you know, there's demonization of people on either side of the political aisle and everybody just calls each other names. And like, obviously this was unacceptable. Um, and I think it goes into the broader uh, political discourse that's been happening, uh, especially on the streets or like in public spaces in America. Um, yeah, Truman? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously what Ted Yoho said was obviously despicable. Um, I didn't know who he was before this, so at least he's made himself famous somewhat, um, although not for the right reasons. I mean, the, these comments are, they, they, they're disrespectful to the, to the office of, house that being in the house of representatives i mean when you serve in the federal government you are at least expected to have um 
some moral and professional standards to work with your colleagues. And, you know, I don't know, maybe this is sort of caused by the widening partisan gap, but also is, as Ben said, it's very indicative of the sort of old boys club nature of a lot of government. And, um, you know, as he did a pretty weak defense by saying, oh, he has a wife and daughters and that makes him a good man. And he's a Christian that makes him a good man. As AOC very eloquently said, you know, having a wife and daughters doesn't make you a good man. You know, you have to basically have to prove that and Ted Yoho proved that he is not. Absolutely. Um, and I think you all really hit, hit it on the head with that, with your responses. Yeah. I um, think using, using God as a defense of calling somebody a fucking bitch is pretty ironic to me, but yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. So we all know AOC as a trailblazing progressive on the Hill, which brings us to our next topic, uh, the modern progressive movement. So while quite well-intentioned, modern progressives have seen, have seen the divide along party lines widen in recent years and haven't really been able to make progress on shrinking it or working across the aisle. Curious as to why that might be, uh, let's just break down our thoughts on the matter. So first off, let's just start with some new methods of protesting. With the rise in social media, we have seen a transformation in the way people protest. So how have these new methods of protesting shaped the movement for better or worse? Ian, we'll go to you first. Yeah, so uh, this is something as we're all pretty young, you know, 18 year olds, Ben, I don't know how old you are, but- um, I'm 19. Pretty close. Okay, cool, cool. We got an older guy in the house. Old man. <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, you know, everybody's posting all this stuff on their Instagram stories. And I think it's very much well-intentioned to, you know, spread awareness, uh, especially in wake of the brutal murder of George Floyd, um, to spread awareness about, you know, issues of race and power and, um, all this other stuff. But I think what something that's lost in that is that sometimes we're just trying to one up each other. And um, as some have put it, uh, it's performative activism, trying to show that you're woke or like more woke than another person. Um, and at some point when you know, you have like 20 things on your Instagram story, nobody's going to look at it. And it's not informing at that point it's just uh more about you yeah i i think to some extent that can be true but i also see you know some of the longer stories along with the shorter like uh, it makes me think kind of I'm, I'm glad that people have this sense of urgency and are treating these issues with the sense of urgency they deserve at the bare minimum and i think that's um something like a, a real positive to focus on and i think you know, with an election season coming up and a real chance to to actually make change in, in Washington, like I I see a sense of urgency that I feel like I haven't seen in past election cycles, even in 2018, the midterms. Um, but I think also to speak sort of to the the protest side of it, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm from New York City and I've seen a lot of protests and I've joined a bunch as well. Um, you know, everyone's involved. There's so many different people that care so deeply. I went to one in the pouring rain that still had huge crowds. And I think, you know, there are definitely nuances to, to be figured out, but I think overall it's headed in a great direction. I know in New York, um, a law called 50A 
which has to do with um, reporting police officers past records was repealed. Um, and that was super controversial in the murder of Eric Garner. Um, and so I think in general, it's headed in the right direction. And I really like what I'm seeing overall, even with these little blips. Yeah, thank you both for your, for your insight into that. So many progressives come out very strongly with their views and often use words that carry lots of weight in a very surprisingly nonchalant way. So how does this affect the way that they're able to convey their message? Truman, what are your thoughts? Um, so I think what you see a lot with uh, sort of the progressive movement is you see them use very sort of simple um, cut and dry black and white uh, language, something that kind of distills the idea and the argument that they make into sort of a sentence or a, or a phrase. And I think that itself is born out of um, and feeds into the protest movement that Ben and Ian just talked about. So, you know, especially in sort of this case, Black Lives Matter, you have a lot of sort of, you know, their arguments are kind of um, reduced down to things that can be chanted and things that can be put on signs, right? But the problem with that is that when you do that, when you sort of shrink uh, your argument into a sentence or to a phrase, it loses the nuance of that argument. And um, it kind of, that can cause it to seem a little off-putting to other people. So, you know, you have the sort of ACAB thing, you know, all cops are bad or all cops are bastards. Now, obviously people understand that that doesn't mean that when you say that, you mean understand that no, not all cops are bad people, but there are inherent flaws with the policing system that need to be addressed, or you know the defund the police, or the you know even abolish the police thing, where you say you say that, but you understand that no, we're not trying to take away all of the police's funding, you're just trying to diversify their tasks and trying to reallocate some of that funding funding to other or new emergency service departments. The problem with that, with all of that is that that doesn't fit on a sign and that's not a very good chant. So they have to distill it down into these things um, that sort of work for protests. But again, you lose the nuance of that argument and you lose sort of the specifics of what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. Truman, what you just said really encapsulates what I was thinking. Um, just like to put it in perspective. So recently I, I visited my grandparents and something that I discussed with them was the, like the Black Lives Matter movement, the defund the police movement. And a conversation I had with my grandmother was, it was really impactful for me where she immediately, she brought it up. And so I felt the need to sort of explain it in a better way than she had seen. She had seen abolish the police. She had seen defund the police. And many people, especially older generations, don't really understand what that means. And one thing that I wish we could change about the modern progressive movement is that they have fantastic, we, I mean, we're all part of it uh, on this podcast, um, but we, there's fantastic messages, fantastic goals. However, they're worded in ways that tend to turn off moderate voters, moderate people, and especially Republicans and further right and older generations as well. When people see abolish, they think entirely get rid of the system, get rid of what you're talking about with abolish the police. But in this conversation I had with my grandmother, um, I was able to explain to her what that meant, where I asked her, I was like, what does your neighborhood look like? And my grandparents live in a suburb of Philadelphia. 
And she, I was like, when do, when, when do you see a cop drive past your house? And she had a very hard time thinking of when that might be. And she said, pretty much never. And I said, what do your schools look like? And they're very well funded, very clean, very, they, they're very nice schools. What do your community services look like? They have fantastic services to their community, great public parks, great works. Um, and that really, those types of conversations help people who are not as accustomed to this, to this movement really understand what the progressive movement is saying rather than just coming out with, in my opinion, somewhat destructive language and counterproductive language such as abolish, get rid of, like things like that. Yeah, and if I could just interject here for a second, I think I totally get what you guys are saying, but I think tying it back to Ian's point about performative allyship, I think that's where, you know, we can kind of stop performative allyship from happening and actually open up these conversations more because um because like from the get-go defund the police is right-wing media breed right they can twist the word defund however they want to their advantage just as you know more more left-leaning people can twist that to in a, in a more positive way right they can twist that um in a more in a more polarizing manner um but i think that's where you invite conversation you clear you um clarify anything that you want to clarify um so that you know people can actually understand the movement better because i do agree that there are a lot of you know instagram caption um you know protest length um chants but i think they can be um productive in conversations i just don't know if we're there yet yeah absolutely so just oh yeah of course you can go ahead yeah and if i can just butt in a little bit (laughs) real quick uh going back to truman's point uh that like stuff in the progressive movement needs to be like brandable and put on signs and chanted. I get that, but like then again, you could also use language that kind of conveys what you're trying to say. Uh, that's less, I guess, um, alienating. Um, I saw something today that said basically defund the police here's what it means and this is what we actually mean but we're just using punchy language why why is there a need to use punchy language when you could easily use divest slash invest as this um twitter thread that i read was explaining could be used i i think something that's important to the progressive movement is you know gaining um support wherever you can find it and alienating language such as like abolish or defund the police or ACAB that can kind of uh, inhibit the cause at times just from like a strategist perspective per se. Absolutely. And so that that kind of brings us to our next talking point. So just as many progressive people use charge language to get their point across, many progressive people also dig into their positions fiercely and sometimes refuse to budge. Um, While this can most definitely be for a good cause, this can definitely inhibit the progressive movement's ability to enact change. So how do you think the progressive movement can go about enacting change in a way that is effective as well as unifying? Truman, we'll go to you first. Um, So I think like I would say that one of the issues with sort of the um, mentality of a lot of progressives about 
you know, fiercely defending your positions, which I think is a good thing, but it's that there is a sort of lack of, somewhat of lack of acceptance of the fact that there are Democrats with other uh, more moderate views. I mean, like I am progressive, but I come by it from a more blue collar background, from a more moderate background. Um, so when I kind of see a sort of mix of two different types of, I guess I would call myself a mix of two different types of Democrats. Um, and I think that the idea is that progressives sort of want their people to, they want to gain a foothold in the party that is, you know, sort of meaningful. I think, you know, they should continue to do that. But I think they also don't sort of understand how um, the Democratic Party being a big tent party is beneficial because it allows us to run in different places. Like, I mean, our Senate caucus is everybody from Joe Manchin to Bernie Sanders. Right? That's a really sort of wide ideological gap um, who are all Democrats, essentially. Um, but what I think happens is that there's a lack of understanding of why more modern Democrats um, are running in races when some races that in places like the Midwest and in the South, where it might be a little bit more difficult for a more progressive person to win, having a more moderate Democrat might help us maintain a majority. And that can be how we you know, enact progressive legislation. If we get a majority in the houses of Congress, then we'll be able to sort of set our own legislative agenda and we'll be more likely to um, be able to pass what we want instead of having to fight uh, to claim that majority. Yeah, I think um, something that is important to note is, as Jay Cole says, change is slow, always has been, always will be. Um, and that change is incremental. And something that I've seen in the modern progressive movement is that people seem to deal in absolutes. Like we have to abolish ICE, we have to have Medicare for all, and we can't really have a transition in between. You know, I think there's been a lot of movement on this, luckily due to COVID and people are starting to realize how important this coming election is, um, how dangerous Republicans and Donald Trump are for the country. Um, and I think also with the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force, there's been some really uh, fair compromise on a lot of these issues that progressives are uh, leaning towards. Um, so I think, again, from kind of a strategy standpoint, at some point you need to make some, some concessions and not give up your ideals because you can uh, pass legislation that aligns with your ideals in the future. For sure. And thank you so much for your fantastic insight into the modern progressive movement. Uh, we, we have a lot of work to do, and I'm sure if we can continue to have these discussions, we can make lots of progress. So now we are going to move into our segment for today. We are going to play a little game we like to call Who They Played For. I'm going to read an athlete and call on one of you to name the sport and team that this athlete played for. It's going to start easy and get progressively harder. So are you ready? I hope yes, so. sir. All Let's right. So we are going to start with, let's start with Ian. Ian, right. 
who did Andre Kirilenko play for? Oh, that's easy. Come on. All right. I think that's that's basketball, right? You you're correct there. And that would be Thunder, maybe? No. Unfortunately, you got that wrong, even though he played for two teams in the NBA. Andre Kirilenko, otherwise known as AK-47, played for the Utah Jazz <laughs> and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yes. Ben, okay, we're going to go over to you. Mm-hmm. Can you, Ben, can you tell me who Haloti Nada played for? Oh, that's an easy for, one. He played for the Ravens, I think. That is correct. He's a football player. Yes, he is. He also played for the Shout Bengals. out Madden Mobile. <laughs> Shout out Madden Mobile. All right, Truman, your turn. Who did Kirk Heinrich play for? Oh, Kirk Heinrich. Um, I believe he was a basketball player. Am I right about that? That is correct. I'm. These are so easy. I think he played for the. I want to say the Jazz, but I feel like that's not right. But we'll say Jazz. That that is incorrect. Damn. Unfortunately. I'm going to have to move you to the waiting room because I'm a Bulls fan and I can't have you doing that (laughs) on this podcast. All right. So we unfortunately have one more easy one. I can't decide who it's going to go to. So it's going to go to Ian. Who did Coco Chris play for? (laughs) Coco Chris. Oh, my God. I knew Truman and Ben would get it. You got a good amount of options, too. Dang. Why do I not know, like, older? He's not older. He's not older. I mean – no, I guess. But All right, I'm gonna give you I'll five seconds. Basketball. Nope. And no. I'll take no. This one. Come on. I'll take this one. All right. Coco. Why do I not know this? Coco I'm Chris. Steal. I'm gonna steal. I'm All right, steal. Truman Steele. He's the, the baseball, and he played. Uh, I think most notably for the Oakland Athletics. That is correct. Yeah, All right. Oh, I totally didn't. All know right, that. Ben. We're gonna move over to you. Who did World Be Free play for? Oh. Oh. Did he he was a basketball player? That is correct. Did he play for the Clippers or a franchise of the Clippers? He played for the Warriors. The Warriors. Oh, it was so, in California. I knew Truman. That. Before my hmm. time. Yeah. Truman, we're gonna head over to you for this one. Who did Yuris Familia play for? Oh, Yuris Familia. He was a baseball player. That is correct. I, he, I believe he was a pitcher. That is correct. I think he pitched for he is act. He's he is he active? I don't know. He's I active. believe. I want to say he was an NL Central team that he played for. That'd be correct. E, no. No. Oh, geez. Um, my beloved New York Metropolitans. I play for the Metropolitans. That would be correct. All right, we are moving into our final round. This is going to be a very good round and very quickly. All right. All right. Hopefully, yeah. I get one. Yeah. Uh, Ian, you're up. Who did Wally Ostercorn play for? <laughs> I really have no idea. All right. I'm gonna... I know where he played college ball. I know where he played college ball. Illinois. The um, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Let's go. Rest <laughs> in peace, Wally Ostercorn. He played for the Syracuse Nationals, died in 2012. God bless his soul. Truman, who did Miroslav Satan play for? Uh, Miroslav Satan uh, was a hockey player, and he played for the Pittsburgh Penguins, our hometown. I believe he was on the 09 Cup team. That is true. He was. And finally, the hardest one of them all. That was a hard one. Well, I'm nervous. I couldn't choose who to give it to. But the final one of them all, Ben, who did wonderful, terrific Mons Jr. play for? 
That's not, that's a, not real a real person. person. His name is Wonderful <laughs> Terrific Mons Jr. And I'm just going to He was to definitely you. on the 1995 Seattle Supersonics team. That is not true. He was a football player and he played for the San Francisco 49ers. So I'm going to give pretty close. Wow. That is true. I'm going to give everyone the L on that one unfortunately. <laughs> and we're going to oh, I took in. 3 Ls. We that is He was a uh, okay, I- Ian took the biggest L, so we're going to say that he lost and Ben and Truman won. All right. Played baseball, too. He also played for the uh, Atlanta Braves, I believe. All right. Moving into our sports section, we are going to start with basketball. So we finally got some exciting news from Florida. And no, it's not a Florida man story. At the NBA bubble, inter-squad scrimmages have started, and we've gotten to see some really cool stuff on the court. JR is back and throwing lobs to Dwight Howard. Ben Simmons is hitting threes. And Bol Bol is showing flashes of high potential. Andre Roberson has also returned to the court for the first time in two years following an injury. The NBA will tip off officially this Thursday with Pelicans versus Jazz, followed by the Battle of LA, Lakers versus Clippers. As scrimmages have gotten underway, what have you seen that surprises you? And what is one prediction that you have for the season? Ian, we'll go to you first. Ooh, something that surprised me. Um, definitely Andre Roberson hitting some threes when he came back because he has been known to brick some threes. Uh, and a prediction I have, I think uh, the Mavs are going to go pretty far in these playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm riding the Mavs bandwagon as well. Uh, ben, what do, you, what do you have for us? Um, I think for my surprise, I, I really think that these players are in great shape. And, you know, all things considered, I think more teams than I thought truly look like they could make deep runs. Um, you know, not saying conference finals level, but if you look at the Thunder, like they look really healthy with Andre, Robert, Andre Roberson back. Chris Paul's done a great job thus far. Um, I see – teams like that making really big runs um and i think in terms of predictions um i think the heat really could make the conference finals um that might be a stretch but i think with jimmy butler bam out of bios on his way to um winning most improved player and the two rookies kendrick nunn and tyler hero (laughs) they look like a really complete team um and not only that i'm gonna come in with a hot take i think that in a seven game series in the conference finals the clippers will beat the lakers i see their team as deeper, I see a healthy Paul George as as um, a player who would really dominate the series. And, of course, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, um, and the rest of the supporting cast I see is really great. All right. Well, we'll, also, see, we'll see about that one. If Lou Williams needs the, more chicken wings, he'll have to sit <laughs> out probably. Love the, oh, uh, Lord. Love the court side camera angles, by the way. Mm. Love the court side camera angles. Love. That is, that is fantastic. All right. So moving into baseball. America's national pastime has also made a comeback this week with a socially distant first pitch from Nats fan and our nation's top <laughs> epidemiologist, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Oh, God. Also happens to be a major cutie. The Yankees ousted the Nats 4-1 to while the Dodgers trounced the Giants 8-1 to on opening night. Some broadcasts are filling the stadiums with virtual fans, and all stadiums are pumping in crowd noise in order to make everything seem a bit more normal. However... Many players, managers, and training staff are still wearing masks, and Anthony Rizzo recently offered hand sanitizer to runners on first base. All in all, it's an absolute win to have sports back for the first time. So turning to actual talent on the diamond, who has the best lineup and who has the best chance of winning the World Series? Ben, we'll go to you first. 
look, on paper, um, and by the way, if I haven't made it abundantly clear, I'm a Mets fan, so this is hard for me to say, but on paper, the Phillies look like they have the best lineup, but I just don't see them going far. I, I don't. Um, even with the extended playoffs, I don't see them, um, you know, even making the playoffs. I think the Nationals, the Mets, and the Braves are all better than them. Um, but in terms of the World Series, even as a Mets fan, I just can't see the Yankees not winning at all. Their starting lineup, um, top to bottom, is ridiculous and healthy. And they've added Garrett Cole, who is probably the best pitcher in the American League. Um, I just can't see them not winning at all. Truman, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, what Ben said is absolutely right about the Yankees. It is a 21st century murderers, bro. I mean, when you're talking about Judge, Stanton, <laughs> Gary Sanchez, Glaber Torres, um, so many more. I mean, that is a very, um, very you trademark deadly. that term. That's good. <laughs> 21st century murderers, bro. Yeah, I love it. But that is a very, very deadly batting order. Although I will say that I think um, I think the Dodgers might have the best chance of actually winning it all. Um, I mean, they've got a really great, probably the best uh, starting rotation in, all, in uh, all of baseball. I mean, if, if Clayton Kershaw gets back healthy, he was put on IL. But if he um, comes back for the end of the season, I think they can make a great run. Great run and they're also uh, pretty, pretty well complete on – the rest of the field and in hitting as well. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see where baseball season takes us. And now, finally, let's move into football. So blockbuster trade out of the NFL. Jamal Adams was finally freed from his prison in East Rutherford, New Jersey, after the Seahawks and Jets reached a deal to send the all-pro safety to Seattle to reform the Legion of Boom. The Seahawks will also net a 2022 fourth-round pick, while the Jets will receive a replacement safety in Bradley McDougal, two first-rounders for 2021 and 2022, as well as a 2021 third-round pick. This comes after a long contract dispute, a formal request for a trade, and general unrest in Adam Gase's locker room. Jets running back Le'Veon Bell subtweeted the trade, saying, people do all the hooting and hollering to get you brought in just to leave. Adams, meanwhile, thanked Jets fans for their support over the years, telling his Twitter followers, you, will all, hold a special, you all will hold a special place in my heart forever. Adams also pushed back at Le'Veon saying, noted, see you week 14. So after all that, I have two questions. First, who won the trade? And second, but just as important, grade the Le'Veon Bell-Jamal Adams beef from 1 to 10. Uh, we will go to Ian first. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's pretty easy to say Seattle won this trade, even though Jamal Adams has one year left on his contract. I think uh, the Seahawks are pretty eager to get an extension done. Um, and, I mean, they only gave up – they did give up two first-round picks, but they're bound to be pretty late in the first round. Um, and, yeah, they just get an all-star player. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll say that I think, you know, Jamal Adams probably won this trade, um, like Ian said. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know the beef. I mean, I don't know. It's not really that interesting to me. Like, so I'll, I'll grade it like a three. Uh, and Le'Veon is so hypocritical. I he, know he's hypocritical, he, but I see he complained and he complained and went away from a team as well. I don't understand. That's true. Right. But 
I, I would love to see how hard Jamal Adams is going to hit him week 14. Looking forward to that. It should be fun, though. It should be fun to watch. Absolutely. I think this – we've got the beginnings gonna, of beef, but I don't think we're there yet. For yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Seahawks win that one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you on that one. All right. So that just about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of The Arenas. We hope we were able to provide some valuable insight into the worlds of politics and sports, as well as some much-needed entertainment. If you haven't picked up on our pattern yet, we drop new episodes every Monday, and we're hoping to expand to two episodes per week very soon. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Arenas Pod for more important updates and highlights from the pod. We have a lot of stuff coming down the pipe, including a new mini-series that will show up right here on this feed called Take Me Out to the Ball Game, where we'll discuss how each of the four major league sports made a comeback amidst COVID-19. We already have an amazing guest booked for our NFL episode, so be on the lookout for that coming very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share the pod with family, friends, or anyone else who may be interested. Also, be sure to listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.